Before we begin, let me take a moment to tell you what you're in for. The story I'm about to share with you comes from the universe of the Traveler's Gate trilogy by Will White, and only if you've read those books do you have the full training necessary to handle information from that realm. This story was previously released as part of the Traveler's Gate Chronicles short story collection, so if you've read that already, I have good news. You've already survived exposure to its incredible power. The only difference today is that you'll be experiencing it with your ears instead of your eyes. If you haven't read the Traveler's Gate books, you may not be able to harness the full energy of these stories. You can try if you'd like, but side effects of unqualified exposure may include confusion, lack of comprehension, or spontaneous combustion. If you're the kind of person that wants to prepare yourself and read the books first, you can find House of Blades, the first book in the Traveler's Gate trilogy, on Amazon or Audible. It will give you the guidance necessary to comprehend these stories without bleeding from the ears. However, if you know that you are unqualified and have decided that this story isn't for you, then we understand and wish you a fond farewell. May we meet again someday, you beautiful stranger. For those of you still with me, we're going together into the pieces of the Traveler's Gate world that weren't covered in the main books, unexplored and unknown corners of the territories. We're going off the edges of the map, and here, there be dragons. Caverns of Flame Perhaps due to the harsh and unforgiving nature of life in the Caverns of Flame, Naraka travelers do not consider mercy a virtue. Tragically, it is often seen as a weakness, rather than as a component essential to true justice. Elysian Book of Virtues, Chapter 8, Blue The Ashhound looked up at Rasmus, one of its eyes cataract white, the other glowing orange like a hot coal. It growled once, flame licking up its mane and back, before it hopped around playfully. Rasmus took a step back, lest the pup scratch up his shoes. This was the first creature he had called, and he knew he should feel grateful. Ashhounds were useful, summoned all over the kingdom to sniff out murderers. With proper control and training, they could find one murderer in the center of a crowded city, even if he had been hiding for decades. They were handy beasts, he could admit, but they were so common. First off, they looked like ordinary charcoal-colored dogs. What kind of Naraka traveler inspired fear and respect by walking his dog around? Any villager with a leash and a mutt could strike an equally imposing figure. Besides. He had barely to turn his head to see a pair of ashhounds worrying at a well-worn haunch of meat or another pup burrowing deep into a pile of yellowed human bones. His own small hound whined as if he wanted to join them in their play, but was afraid to leave Rasmus alone. He didn't share a bond with this creature, he was no Helgard traveler, but Rasmus knew a simple mental call would bring the dog running back, so he released the creature with a simple psychic effort. The flames on its back flared up with its joy. It left one lick of scalding hot saliva along the side of his leg, bounding off to dive into the stack of bones. For Naraka travelers, the trick was modifying your mental call to attract exactly the creature you wanted, and getting it to do what you intended. There was rarely a long-term bond between summoner and summoned, except in certain special cases. At least he had finally commanded a beast of Naraka, and it had responded. He had taken three days of preparing bait, patiently waiting, and constant mental effort to lure even this pathetic specimen close. 
This should be a day of celebration, but he couldn't help but feel a little disappointed. Disappointment flared into hot, sickening shame when the ground rumbled around him and Tycon's shukra erupted from Naraka's red stone. The shukra, or cavern worm, was a ravenous, rock-eating monster the size of one of Cana's sewer pipes. Rasmus could only see its head and a few segments of bright pink skin. The rest of the creature's long body was hidden underground. The exposed portion was still nine or ten feet long, leaving him to wonder exactly how massive the worm's whole body must be. Its head was a nightmare of clacking mandibles and spinning, grinding teeth and a vertically slitted mouth with no apparent eyes, but Tycon reached up and patted the worm on its salivating maw with no evidence of discomfort. There is a good boy, Tycon said, smiling up at the shukra. You're hungry, aren't you? Don't worry, we'll have plenty for you to eat. Tycon had the pale skin of a Damascan and a mop of curly black hair. He was the son of a minor noble, one of Overlord Eli's relatives, Rasmus had heard, and the two boys were much the same age. Rasmus had come to study in Naraka only four days before Tycon showed up, and they had been trained together ever since. By rights, they should be closer than brothers by now, after three years of rigorous training in the history and methods of Naraka. Rasmus hated him. There was no test in which Tycon didn't have to outperform Rasmus, no trial he didn't have to complete a little faster. He had his noble training to fall back on, that was what it was. Rasmus was the son of a weaver, he didn't have the sorts of advantages that a rich boy like Tycon must have enjoyed. It wasn't fair that they should be held to the same standard. Marvelous, Tudor Petrus said, clapping his hands and beaming at Tycon. You're doing a wonderful job of exercising such delicate control. In the best partnerships, as you know, there's a subtle degree of give and take. Tycon ran a hand down the cavern worm's pale skin. I never thought it would be so easy. You only have to nudge him in the right direction, don't you? He knows what he's doing. It's not even a command, really, so much as a request. Tudor Petrus chuckled. He was an older man, perhaps as old as Rasmus' grandfather, with a bulging belly and a prominent bald spot. The boys were lucky to have him, or so they were told, because he usually served as the personal advisor to Overlord Malachi himself. He had a soft eye for Tycon, for sure. Binding a shukra at your age? You'll be in high demand around here if you can keep this up. I'll say that for certain. We haven't had a good rock worker at the outpost in years. Once we get past your initiation, you can help us expand the farmland, maybe even clear out the tunnel between the Cana and El Tarim waypoints. We'll put you and your worms to work, son. No need to worry. Finally, Tycon seemed to remember that Rasmus was there. It was about time someone did. What happened to the Ashhound, Rasmus? Tycon asked. The question sounded innocent enough, but Rasmus' face burned. He knew what the other boy was doing. He was trying to compare his shukra to a plain runt of a dog. I sent him off, Rasmus said casually, as if he didn't notice Tycon's plan. There was no reason to keep him around. I can always call another. Have you given it a name yet? Why would I? It's not as though it's special. If I need a hound, I'll just call up the closest one. On a sudden burst of inspiration, he decided to try to get the instructor on his side. Then again, I haven't heard Tudor Petrus' input. Sir, what can you tell us about Ashhound naming conventions? Tudor Petrus rarely missed an opportunity to demonstrate his familiarity with Narakan history. 
The old man flapped a hand in Rasmus' direction, walking over to squint at Tycon's worm. Name it whatever you like, son. I named my first ash hound after a boy who used to throw sticks at me. Petty, I know, but I got a sense of satisfaction out of being the one to throw the sticks for a change. So, Tycon, what kind of bait did you use? I could have sworn I saw you walking down here with the skull of a thief, but could you perhaps have had a stretch of hangman's noose somewhere about you? Ignored completely. Rasmus felt this was his lot entirely too often, and it was always Tycon's fault. He acted like he didn't plead for the attention, that he didn't beg and dance like a dog for scraps, but Rasmus knew the real story. While the other two talked excitedly about the potential uses for a tame cavern worm, Rasmus watched his dog drag the end of a bone all over the red dust of the cavern floor. He lost himself in a vision of a snapdragon lurching up the side of the cliff, wreathed in flame, and gulping up the ashhound in its crocodile jaws. It would turn on Petrus and Tycon, but Rasmus would save the day at the last second by commanding it in an overwhelming burst of psychic talent. Maybe that would count as his first successful summons, and he could forget the dog ever existed. Rasmus replayed this version of events in his mind several times. Sometimes Tycon escaped with no wounds except to his pride, sometimes his shukra was sliced to ribbons, and sometimes Tycon suffered terrible injuries before Rasmus could finally bring the snapdragon to heel, until he noticed Tudor Petrus clearing his throat pointedly. At the risk of repeating myself, it is time for you to be about your chores. The tower sanctuary needs water, after which you should deliver four buckets to my personal dwelling. Quickly now. Tycon patted his worm on the flank one more time, and it slithered backwards into the rock, no doubt to continue tunneling somewhere far below. Rasmus didn't spare his hound a second glance. He followed Tudor Petrus, hoping the old man would notice his dedication and focus. Damasca controlled most of the useful routes through Naraka. Rasmus had always assumed this was because of the inherent superiority of Damasca-trained travelers versus those self-taught or trained in Enosh, but there turned out to be a much simpler reason. Damasca built an outpost around each waypoint, those towering obsidian obelisks marked by golden runes. The waypoints marked the only places where you could make a gate into or out of Naraka, so they became the only locations of strategic importance in the entire territory. Enosh controlled the routes in and around their one city, but they were welcome to stay in their barren stretch of wilderness. Between all the other major cities, Damasca owned the roads. The outposts were villages, really, each centered around a waypoint leading to one of the kingdom's largest cities. Rasmus and Tycon approached the Belcalum outpost, which was surrounded by a ten-foot wall of coal-black wooden planks bound together. Rasmus had only ever seen one tree in Naraka, and it wasn't the kind you would cut down for wood. Without water or sun, he didn't see how any plants could survive here anyway, but he was assured that the charwood was in fact native and was heat-resistant enough for the climate here. He had never seen the wall burst into flames, so he supposed the material must live up to its reputation. Inside the walls, past a couple of savage-looking Itasas tribesmen standing guard, the complex looked largely empty. Only a handful of buildings were scattered all over the empty space inside the wall, leaving plenty of bare ground. One stubby tower of redstone for the full travelers, one blocky barracks of charwood for the Itasas tribe, a second, almost identical charwood building for holding supplies, 
and the tiled courtyard surrounding the obsidian tree. Its spiked black branches stabbed into the sky, almost higher than the walls. In the very center of the wall, surrounded by all the man-made buildings, the waypoint stood straight and tall, its black spike pointed at the cavern ceiling far above. Its runes shone brightly enough that they lent a soft yellow light to the whole outpost. Those were the only constructions that, for one reason or another, needed to rest above ground. Everything else was built below, in natural tunnels expanded by tame cavern worms. Today there was one extra feature in the outpost. A wagon shaped like a vast barrel pulled by four nervous-looking oxen. Rasmus always thought animals from the outside world looked exotic, though he couldn't understand why merchants insisted on using them here. The creatures inevitably hated Naraka's persistent smell and panicked at the first sign of any native wildlife, so they were less than practical to bring along, but most water merchants insisted on trying. A line of people waited behind the water wagon, carrying buckets, pails, pans, smaller barrels, canteens, flasks, and bottles. Anything they could use to carry a mouthful of water. There were no full travelers in line, of course. They had people to haul water for them. People like Rasmus and Tycon. Petrus nodded toward the water line, as though they hadn't performed this same chore a hundred times. He'll have buckets for you. Bring two each to the foot of the sanctuary, empty them in the well, then fill them again and take them to my house. If you hurry, we can talk about your initiation. Rasmus' guts seized up, and he found himself grabbing his teacher by the sleeve. I'm sorry, sir. Initiation? One of the tutor's gray eyebrows raised. Yes, of course. We've spoken of this before. Once you've called your first creature, you're to be made an initiate. Surely you should know this by now. Rasmus felt his face flush. Yes, sir, I know, but, I mean, so soon? I thought we would have time to prepare first. There's very little to prepare for, really. We call it an initiation and surrounded with ceremony, but really, you walk up to the obsidian tree and confess. Depending on the weight of your confession, it will grow you a fruit. You eat the fruit, and you're qualified as an initiate. It's a practical requirement more than anything else. Now, if you will excuse me. With that, Tudor Petrus hurried off, his hand raised to wave at another old man in red robes. Rasmus was familiar with the obsidian tree, of course. It was housed in this very outpost, so Naraka travelers from all over the country came here for initiation. Once the black tree produced its fruit, whoever ate it gained the ability to handle fire and not be burned. Some could only resist a candle's flame, and anything hotter would eat through them as quickly as anyone else. Rumor said Overlord Malachi could swim through lava and bathe in molten iron without feeling the slightest discomfort. Your degree of protection depended on your confession. And there was Rasmus' problem. He had nothing to confess. As he and Tycon retrieved their wooden buckets from the water merchant, Rasmus considered his history. What had he done? Was there any crime he committed? Anything he had hidden from himself? He wanted as dark a sin as possible. Rumor among the other travelers in training said only the most severe, profane crimes earned the highest degree of protection. Tycon tried to start a conversation while they stood in line, but Rasmus was too tied up in his thoughts to pay much attention. He had tried to steal a sack of figs once from a stall in the streets of Belcalum, but the stall owner had caught him with his fingers around the fruit. When they got home, his father switched him. 
Surely that wouldn't work. He had already received punishment, which under Narakan law meant the crime had never happened. The merchant worked a pump on the back of the water wagon, and the clean stream flowed out into Rasmus' bucket, splashing his hands. No charge for them. The merchant recognized they were running errands for the sanctuary, and he would bill the travelers later. What terrible thing must Overlord Malachi have confessed for his legendary protection? Perhaps he killed a family member or organized a rebellion. Maybe he spat in King Zachareth's face and got away with it. That didn't make much sense, as he would never have risen to the rank of Overlord with any of those crimes on his record, but it had to be something truly terrible. Rasmus hurried toward the tower as best he could with a bucket in each hand, lagging behind Tycon, who always seemed to make everything a race. This time, to Rasmus' surprise, Tycon slowed and waited for him to catch up. You're quiet today. That's my right, Rasmus snapped. Tycon shifted one bucket to his other hand so he could scratch his head. Are you worried about the initiation? He held both buckets in one hand, and he still didn't spill a drop. Rasmus tried to imitate him, as casually as possible, but he almost sloshed a pailful of water down his shirt. Worried? No, of course not. Are you? Terrified, Tycon said. They stopped talking when they reached the charwood door at the base of the red tower. The traveler assigned to the door recognized them and waved them through, and they jogged down a short set of stairs to the well, where they dumped their buckets into the pool of waiting water. It wasn't a real well, of course, since there was very little natural water in Naraka. It was nothing more than a stone pool to collect their purchased water. But since the travelers used it for everything from drinking to bathing to laundry while they were in the territory, they called it a well. The boys hurried back up, and once they cleared the sanctuary, Tycon continued. I know nobody's supposed to listen to the confession, and even if they do, nothing you confess to the tree can be held against you, but I can't help but worry. Why? Rasmus asked, as they filled their buckets from the wagon again. Tycon waited until they exited the wall of the outpost before answering. When I was a child, back in the outside world, I was climbing a tree with my sister. Rasmus didn't have any brothers or sisters, and he hadn't known Tycon did either. The thought made him uncomfortable somehow, as though Tycon had more of a life outside of Naraka than Rasmus did. We started messing around, you know, teasing. I couldn't take a joke when I was young, and I started to get mad, so I pushed her a little harder than I should have. I didn't mean anything by it, I was just mad, but she fell. The tree wasn't terribly tall, but she still broke both legs and hit her head. For a minute, I thought she was dead. I ran and got our father, and by that time she woke up, and she was in terrible pain. She recovered, of course, she's fine now, but she didn't remember the few minutes leading up to her fall. So when my father asked me how it had happened, I told him she had tried to reach a bird's nest and slipped. Everyone believed me, even her, and I was never punished for it. That was a good one. It was a crime of passion, and thus not as damning as if it had been planned or premeditated, but he had harmed another out of anger, lied to cover it up, and injured an innocent in doing so. Tycon's fruit would surely be the size of a melon. Rasmus would be lucky if his looked like a grape. Are you sure you should have told me? Rasmus said, as he marched along the dusty red stone of Naraka's caverns. Maybe the tree won't count it if you've already confessed. I don't think so. According to the principles of admission, an admission of guilt is only valid if it's made to a duly appointed representative of the law, 
or else directly to the wronged party. You're not either. Besides, you're a close friend, so your testimony wouldn't be accepted in a court on my behalf anyway. By the laws of Naraka, I'm clear. Tycon always sounded so pleasant and certain, even when he was lecturing on principles they had learned together years before. Rasmus knew the law as well as Tycon did, and he couldn't help but notice how Tycon counted Rasmus among his close friends when it came to a court case. How convenient for him. That ensured Rasmus would never be able to testify against him. Undoubtedly, he was planning some crime and wanted a silent compatriot. Was that all Rasmus' friendship meant to him after three years of joint training? Tudor Petra's private dwelling was dug into the rock about half a mile from the main outpost. While most travelers lived in the tower sanctuary during their stay in Naraka, a few of them, those who spent the most time in specific regions of the territory, kept small, permanent houses here. Rasmus didn't mind the trip, since no senior travelers were around to give him any other chores while he was outside the outpost walls, but the ever-present threat of predators hung over him like a cloud of smoke. The deadliest creatures waded deeper in the caverns, away from populated human settlements, but you could find ashhounds anywhere, trotting down tunnels or over cliffs. Sometimes a snapdragon or swarm of Morway got hungry enough to hunt down the dogs near a waypoint. Everyone who lived long in Naraka knew someone who had vanished outside of the outpost walls, never to be heard from again. Tudor Petrus well waited outside his round charwood doorway. The pool was covered by a stone lid that took both of them to drag it off, and it was much smaller than the well in the sanctuary. Their four buckets filled it almost to the brim. How about you? Tycon asked as they walked away from Tudor Petrus' house. Do you know what you're going to say to the tree? Rasmus couldn't tell the truth, of course. That would be admitting defeat to Tycon again. I have some idea he said. Though part of the route back to the outpost wound through tunnels carved in the red stone walls, much of the road was exposed. They had to step carefully on these sections, because there was often a sheer cliff to the side, dropping ten or fifteen feet to another plateau of solid rock. Rasmus had known careless students or visitors to slip in the grit and ash, tumbling down to the stone below. The fortunate survived with only a few broken ribs, while the unlucky could suffer a twisted neck or shattered skull. Well, I told you my story, Tycon trailed off uncomfortably. Good manners suggested Rasmus should share his tale now. It's a lot like yours, I would say, Rasmus said. The bucket in Tycon's right hand swung out over a fifteen-foot drop. Pushed someone. They fell and got hurt. The difference was they deserved it. Huh. Tycon sounded disappointed. He clearly didn't think Rasmus had any such story. I was just like him. He never believed anything Rasmus said. Hadn't they built up any trust between them over the years? You don't believe me? No, that's not true, Tycon protested. Rasmus would show him. He barely thought about it. It was more a surge of emotion, of inspiration, of something long hidden inside him lurching up and taking control for a single instant. Rasmus took one step to the right and shoved. Tycon had time for one startled, panicked expression before he went over the cliff. A second later, a cracking thud and two hollow thunks marked Tycon and his pair of barrels hitting the ground. I've done it now, Rasmus thought. I did it. His head felt like someone had pumped it full of smoke. 
Would the travelers find him now? He had intentionally injured another student, after all. That was a crime. He had committed a crime in Naraka, of all places. What was going to happen to him? No, not a crime. A punishment. After all, had Kaiken not confessed to him that he had gone unpunished for hurting his little sister? Wasn't it a Naraka traveler's job to arbitrate such cases? In fact, this was the best kind of penalty, one that fit the transgression. Tycon had pushed his sister out of a tree, and in just retaliation, Rasmus had pushed him off of a cliff. If the fates were kind, Tycon would suffer the same injuries as his sister. The scales of justice would be balanced. Rasmus might even be rewarded for acting as befit a traveler of Naraka. It occurred to him that he couldn't hear any of the noises he had expected from Tycon. No screams, no groans, nothing. Maybe he had hit his head like his sister. That would be for the best. Maybe he wouldn't remember anything when he woke up. Rasmus stepped around a wild ash hound as he walked toward the cliff, shoving the dog out of the way with one leg. He leaned down. Most of Tycon's body lay pressed flat against the stone, but his head had twisted almost all the way around, as though he had tried to get one last look at Rasmus. His killer. Rasmus stumbled back from the edge, thinking fast. He would have to come up with a story that didn't make him sound like a murderer. He couldn't lie. The older travelers had ways of finding guilt through the most clever lies. He had to make the truth serve his purposes. Tycon had fallen from a cliff, and Rasmus saw it happen. He wished it hadn't happened. He was full of regrets and all that. It was true. He now wished he had waited for a shorter drop. He had never meant to have a body on his hands. As cover stories went, that one would do. But he had to look like a real friend in grief. He threw his buckets to the ground as though he'd abandoned them in his haste to help his fallen friend. Rasmus started to run. Someone in his position would be expected to go for help as soon as possible. As he ran, he couldn't escape one thought. At least he would have something to confess in his initiation. He barely made it three paces before he was forced to stop. A trio of ash hounds, their manes burning, stood in his path. They stared at him with orange eyes. Odd behavior for the dogs. They were mostly scavengers, except under certain conditions when they would work together to bring down larger game. They never stood and waited for something to come to them. Rasmus swerved to run around them, but another hound emerged from a nearby tunnel and glared at him with glowing eyes. Rasmus spun around to try another route. There was a second tunnel back near Tudor Petrus' house. It took more time, but he could always explain that he had been forced to take the longer route. As he hurried back, he noticed three or four more ash-gray shadows smoldering gently and trailing smoke. He ran faster. He had passed the spot where Tycon's body lay before he saw the hound behind him. Now how had it gotten through? It couldn't have passed him without him seeing it, and it couldn't have come from behind him. The only other thing behind this point was Petrus's house. The tiny dog, barely more than a puppy, stared at him, its back burning with a line of embers. Something in its stance gave it away. This was his ash hound, so to speak the first creature he had ever summoned. I didn't call you. Rasmus sent a mental command before him, ordering the dog aside. 
It stayed where it was. Instead of moving, it lowered its snout to the ground and drew in a long breath through its nose. Once, twice, all of the other ashhounds, in fact, were loudly sniffing the air and drawing closer. Ashhounds could smell a murderer. His stomach twisted and his heart hammered through his ribcage. No, it's not me. It wasn't me. It's not a murder. It was an accident. One of the largest hounds, whose fur was actually ablaze, let out a growl like distant thunder. He deserved it, Rasmus begged. Sometimes, his tutors said, you could talk Naraka creatures into agreeing with your view of justice, if you made your point in the right way. Rasmus sent his sincerity into a mental pulse aimed at the ring of hounds. Surely they could sense he was right. I gave him a just punishment. You see, I'm not a murderer, I'm a Naraka traveler. One of the closest hounds lunged, knocking him onto his back. Its teeth in his shoulder felt like a handful of red-hot knives. Rasmus screamed as he'd never screamed before, a desperate sound that tore at his throat. Another set of jaws closed around his ankles, and he thrashed physically and mentally, trying to shake them loose. They were going to tear him to pieces. This was how he would die. Not like a traveler, but like a criminal, torn apart by a pack of hungry dogs. It took him a handful of seconds to wonder why more of them hadn't started biting him. Some had the tops of their heads pressed against his side. Were they trying to save him? Maybe a handful of the pack agreed with his version of justice. Pain tore at his ankle, stone scraped his back, and he realized they weren't going to eat him after all. He screamed louder. With one final push, the pack of ash hounds hurled him off the cliff. He only had an instant, twisting in the air, to see the coal orange eyes of his summoned hound staring down at him like an arbiter in judgment. Then he hit the rock. Naraka travelers believe punishment should be like a well-executed crime, direct, focused, and brutal. Very few of them have ever experienced real mercy. They are not to be judged for this, only pitied. Elysian Book of Virtues, Chapter 8, Blue Congratulations, you've survived the Hidden Gnome Podcast. Today's story was Caverns of Flame by Will White, read by Travis Baldry. The next episode will be available on the day the Caterpillar of Ages consumes the last leaf on the sacred dawn tree. Until that time, remember, you may not be watching gnomes, but they're always watching you.